You know, as I mentioned before, we are uh, going to be studying a very familiar passage to many of you, the story of Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000. And the challenge that we're going to face this morning is really with our familiarity with the story. So there's several of us who probably grew up in Sunday school and and in Sunday school, this is one of those stories that you would hear just about every year, Jesus feeding the 5,000. You heard, you would read it in your Bible stories. You'd see the little boy with his little sack lunch that his mama gave him with the two fish and the five loaves and, and how Jesus supernaturally is able to uh, 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 multiply those fish and multiply those loaves. And, and really for many of us, uh, that story really kind of, Uh, sums up in one general moralistic lesson, and it's something like this. It's basically that no matter what you have, uh, no matter how small or how insignificant it might seem, if you just place it in the hands of Jesus, then he can do wondrous and amazing things with it. He can use it to to bless people, and he can use it to glorify himself. And let me suggest, I, I don't think that's a wrong take. I think that is certainly a truth of this passage. I, I think that's there. I don't think it's wrong or unbiblical. Uh, but I think that that particular uh, point is found in other passages of Scripture that are probably uh, more succinct and more accurate to the text itself. For example, I think of passages like Acts chapter 2 and verses 44 through 45. And there, uh, Luke is writing, he's writing about the new believers, uh, the new church that has just been birthed. And he, he says there, he says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, as any had need. So, is it a biblical idea or even a biblical truth there in the feeding of the 5,000? Is it found in other passages of Scripture that God can take the little things we have and use them and multiply them into great blessings for others and the glory of God? Absolutely, absolutely. But I think that even though it may be a point of the text, I really don't think it is the point of the text. So you say, well, what is it about then? Well, that's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. No, I'm just, uh, hopefully I've gotten a little bit to the bottom of it over this last week. Uh, but let me say this. I think a good way to be able to understand what the text is all about is always to understand it in context of looking around it and where Mark chose to place this particular story in his gospel. And remember, it comes immediately after the story of Herod. Remember, Herod throws this great big banquet where he begins to feed these people. Do you remember that from last week? If you don't, just take my word for it. That's what happened. Well, what we're going to see this week is that particular banquet is really contrast with a new banquet. Now Jesus is going to throw a banquet of his own. And what we're going to see is that these two banquets, and especially these two kings, if you will, stand in stark contrast to one another. And what we're going to find is we're going to see this in the first banquet, Herod's banquet, we saw uh, that it was held in a grand royal hall. And now Jesus is going to throw a banquet, but it's going to be held in the wilderness. We also saw that last week that Herod invited only the greatest, the most important, most powerful, most influential people from all the kingdom. And now Jesus is just going to invite anybody who is willing and wanting to come to him. Herod lacked any kind of compassion, any, any resemblance of compassion at all, which was demonstrated with his serving up his guest, the head of John the Baptist, on a platter. 
And now we're going to see Jesus in his great and mighty compassion for his people as he seeks to serve up the bread of life to his people. And finally, we see Herod, he was a tetrarch. He really wasn't a king. He was a wannabe king. And here he demands and he does all things in order for himself to be served. And now we're going to see the picture of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is not seeking to be served, but he's seeking to serve. It's a huge contrast between these two things. And let me tell you what I just think this passage is about. Here it is. Just walk away. We can be done. We're going to pray in just a minute, have an invitation, take the up the offer, and we're going to be gone. But here, we could do that, but, but let's, let's go through the process of the text anyway. But here's the point. The point is, is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than any king, than any prophet, than any president, than any congressman, than any boss, than any company. Jesus is simply greater. And he is greater, and what we want to do is we want to look, and I want to show you just a couple ways this morning in the text of Scripture of what God has just, just encouraged my heart with this week and show you just a few ways from the text of Scripture in which Jesus is greater. First of all, I think we see in the text that Jesus promises a greater rest. Jesus promises a greater rest. Rest. Look, notice, if you will, beginning in verse 30, the Bible says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, if you haven't been with us, let me ex- explain that this is a reference to something that had happened in the beginning of chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus sent his disciples out on a mission trip. And so now, after that time, they've been out for an unspecified period of time. Now they're making their way back, and now they're excited. They're telling Jesus everything that they taught. They're telling Jesus about everything that they saw and everything that they did. This is an exciting time. But Jesus, and check this, he knows his people well. He knows his disciples well, and he recognizes that they're tired. He recognizes that they're worn out, that they're exhausted. Ministry is wonderful, but it can be tiring. It can be taxing. They've been moving. They've been preaching. They've been teaching. They've been healing the sick. They've been doing all these things. And so they, he comes back, and so he's got some plans for them. Verse 31 says, And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So at this point... Remember, people were pursuing Jesus. Large crowds were gathering around Jesus. Now, that disciples have been sent out in, in, in twos, and they've been sent out in six different directions. Now, even more people are now beginning to gather. And now, they're not just coming for Jesus, but they're coming to hear from the disciples and have the disciples himself to be able to help them. And so, even though they're tired and exhausted, the call on their life and the calling of the people and the demand of the people on their life is sapping even more of their strength. There's no rest in sight for them. And so Jesus recognizes this, and so he has a plan. He says, you need rest. I've got the plan for you to do this. You need to get away. You need to get away. You need to come and be alone with me alone. Let's go to a desolate place, and there, me in a desolate place, you alone is going to equal Rest is what he says. Now, that, that in, in, in this particular uh, translation, desolate place, you, your Bibles might read something different. It might read wilderness. And that's a very good translation, wilderness. In fact, wilderness is important whenever you see that word because the Bible talks a whole lot of the wilderness in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. 
And here, whenever we read that, we have to understand that what Mark is actually doing by Jesus going to the wilderness, that he is actually fulfilling Old Testament events and Old Testament prophecies. For example, here with the wilderness, one of the places that we read about a wilderness experience the most, especially people going to receive rest there, is in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. There you'll remember that the Jewish people, God's people, the Israelites, had been underneath the oppression and and subject to the rule of the Egyptian rulers. For 400 years they were in slavery, and they suffered greatly at their hands. They were exhausted. They were tired, and God sends a deliverer by the name of Moses. And he goes and he says, I haven't forgotten my people. I haven't forgotten their prayers. I remembered I'm sending a deliverer to you. Moses comes. He gets them. He frees them. They go out of the hustle and bustle of Egypt, right? He gets them to a secluded place. Where do they go? To another city? No, they go into the wilderness. And there the people find rest until their souls. And so what we find is in Scripture, as we continue to work through, Isaiah and Jeremiah begin to preach. And they say, hey, listen. There is going to be yet another exodus that is to come. This was just kind of a shadow of great things to come. Moses was great, but I'm telling you, there's a deliverer that's going to come that is greater than Moses, and he too is going to lead you out into the wilderness. In fact, what we find is Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 6 and 7. What Isaiah says, he's even more specific. He said, the Messiah will come and he will lead you out into the wilderness. And there he will also feed you a great feast. So what we see here is is that this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, you thought that was great what Moses did. You've seen nothing yet. Jesus is far greater than Moses. And he says, listen, here is the key to rest. The key to rest is to get away from all the stuff and to take a break. Now, let me explain what this means. Now, some of you are sitting there going, and this is how you're going to interpret this. You're going to sit there, you're going to hit your wife, you're going to hit your husband. Don't hit, but nudge. We don't hit here. Okay, nudge your spouse. And you're going to say, see, I told you, we just got to get away. We just got to get away. I told you that Fiji vacation is what we need. It's biblical. Brother Mike is preaching it. All right. Now, I think it's okay for you to go to Fiji. If you go, I think you should take me as well. Um, I think it would be great. But I don't think getting away, that's the kind of getting away that the scriptures are talking about. I think what he means is to get away from stepping back a little bit from everything. And he's not talking about maybe long vacations. I think he's talking about daily and even hourly stepping away from the hustle and bustle of life, and then coming and being alone with Jesus, spending time with Jesus. He says, if you want, if you need rest, if you're weary within who you are, the key and the secret to true, soulful, physical rest is time alone with Jesus Christ. Now, I say that, and that sounds very spiritual, and that sounds very nice, but let me tell you what I think is going on in the hearts and the minds of folks at Celebration. Some people are sitting there going, man, that just doesn't sound like rest to me. You mean taking time, spending time praying? Do you know how hard praying is? Working through the Word of God? Do you know how hard it is to work through the Word of God? Brother Mike, that doesn't sound rest to me. That sounds like toil to me. That doesn't sound like 
rest that sounds like more of a, a burden to me. And even if maybe you don't go as far as burden, maybe you'd sit back this morning and maybe you would say to yourself, well, listen, I, it's not that I'm burdened with it. I would love to have it. But the truth of the matter is my plate is so full. I do so much. We do so many things all week long. I just don't have time to get Jesus in there, to fit Jesus in there. In fact, if I were to do that and do what you're calling me to do, it would only cause me more stress because that means that I would have less time to do all the other stuff that is causing me to be stressed out now. I would, I would lose that opportunity. And can I tell you something? When, when Jesus said to his disciples... I want you to go and get alone with me and I want to spend time with you because that's where you're going to find rest. I don't think Jesus ever intended for them to feel like they were being burdened by him. I think what Jesus knows is because Jesus created him, Jesus created us, I think he knows our hearts and he knows our souls and he knows what we need more than anything else, no matter how wise we think we are. I think when Jesus says, hey, look, I made you, I know it gives you rest, and what gives you rest is for you to take time alone with me in prayer, you speaking to me by through prayer, and me speaking to you through the word of God, and if you will do it, that's where you'll find rest is with me. I don't think that he was trying to pull something. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, you're very familiar with this, he says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we're very familiar with that passage, perhaps, but listen to kind of the, 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 the twist or, or the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson from the message. This is what he says. This is how he paraphrases those words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? He says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and you'll learn to live lightly. He says, man, just, just come to me. Spend time with me. I know you don't feel like you have the time. I know that you feel there's other important things. Here's what I find Christians do all the time. They'll say, man, I feel like things are spiraling out of time. First thing I say, have you spent time with Jesus? I haven't had time with Jesus. I can't afford time with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you can't afford not to spend time with me. I see people all the time walking away, and I'm one of them, exhausted. When Jesus says, spend time with you, he's not trying to give you some legalistic list of things to do. He's not commanding you to take part in religion He's inviting you into a restful relationship with him. Spend time with him. Here's what I have to do. I can't just spend time as your pastor preparing meat for you. Because to me, sometimes if I do that, sometimes it might seem work. You know what Jesus says to your pastor? Come alone and just be alone with me. 
Don't prepare anything for anybody else. I've prepared something for you. Just come over here and just spend some time with me. Time with me is where your rest is at. So let me ask you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you frazzled? Step back, get alone, be with him. Why? You sit there and say, well, what I really need is I need some sleeping pills I get that. I don't sleep well either a lot of times. I need a vacation. Yes, you need a vacation. Listen, I'm telling you that Jesus is greater than your sleeping pill. Jesus is greater than your vacation. Jesus is greater than your recliner in, your, in, in the boob tube. And, and, and Jesus is greater than your fishing. And gre- Jesus is greater than your hunting stand. And Jesus is greater than all these things. I'm telling you, if you will just spend time in prayer and word with Jesus Christ... Jesus promises you will find rest that you've never known. Jesus is greater. There's a second thing that we find in the word of God that Jesus proves a greater portion. Jesus proves a greater portion. Look at verse 33. In verse 33, it says this. He says, he says Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So here's kind of what happens. They're like, hey, look, let's, let's take a break. You guys are worn out. Ministry, go take a vacation, get out of town. One thing, the people who want to be ministered to, they have a different idea. So Jesus gets in the boat. They begin to sail. The people, they don't have boats like earlier in the book of Mark to follow them. So they begin to run around the lake, okay? Some commentators say that some of them may have run for 10 miles. Who runs 10 miles unless you're desperate for something, all right? Desperate to lose weight, desperate to prove something, or in this case, desperate for Jesus. So they run. They Get up, they run, they follow him. The Bible says, now, and the question here is, how is Jesus going to respond to them? That's, that's the point. How is he going to feel? Is he going to scold them? Is he going to get onto them? Not even close. Verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, listen to this, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Now, this is great. Don't, don't, miss, don't miss it, understand this, that Jesus had simply sympathy for them. He did feel for them. He did feel sorry for them. He did feel and could, it could identify with their pain. And, and, and there was sorrow in his heart for them. But it didn't stop at sympathy. Are you with me? It didn't stop at sympathy. It didn't. I don't know what's going on. Beth. I've got kind of flashing going on. But any, anyway, what in the world? Okay. All right. There we go. Okay. I'm good. Hey, y'all were like, what the? What is going on? And I'm like, yeah, what is that? Okay. So. I don't even know where I was. Let me kind of go back just for a second, all right? So, so he, he's sitting. They're coming. They, they need, uh, um, he, he's seeing, it's not just sympathy. He doesn't just feel bad for them. Instead, Jesus demonstrates compassion. What's the difference between the two? One is feeling bad. What's the other one? The other one is feeling for people but doing something about it. Jesus doesn't just sit there and go, oh, I feel so bad. Look how pathetic they are. Jesus sits there and says, I feel for you. Now I will act for you. Do you see the difference between the two? And can I encourage you as a believer in Jesus Christ, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, to follow his example? That it is not enough for you and I to be able to sit back and look at a lost and dying world and feel sympathy for them? And to get back and say the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket? I don't want you to be offended by that, but I don't mean it to be literally hell Instead, for us to be able to say, oh, I feel for them, and then just speak it and then just go on our way. James says that's not even evidence of true faith. Instead, we feel and we act. We feel and we move. You feel for somebody because of their poverty, you move and you act. 
You see somebody because of their poverty of spirit, not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you move and you act. You share, that's what Jesus does. So he comes and he has sympathy, why? He says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now again, he's taking us back to the Old Testament prophecies, again in events. In Numbers chapter 27 and verse 17, there Moses is about to depart, he's about to die. He's not allowed into the promised land because he blew it, he sinned. Jesus says, speak to the rock. He struck the rock out of frustration. He says, you've blown it. I'm not letting you into the promised land. So, but before he dies, he tells, Jesus, or he tells God, he says, God, he says, you need to send a leader. These people will never survive without a leader. So before I die, will you show me this leader that is to come that will lead your people? He asks him, he says, who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in? That the congregation for the Lord may not be as a sheep, that have no shepherd. Do you see that? And, Jesus, and God immediately answers. He says, I have chosen Joshua to lead my people. Now, you might not think that's very interesting or very helpful, but it is because as we learned a couple weeks ago, the name Joshua is a Hebrew name. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the New Testament, the name Joshua is translated Jesus. Joshua in the Old Testament was a picture of the ultimate shepherd that would come to lead and to be able to guide his people. Joshua was great. Jesus was far, far greater. And you sit there and you say, well, why this picture? Why all the way through this picture of sheep without a shepherd? Because sheep are helpless. Sheep are completely dependent upon the shepherd. If, if the sheep are not led, guess what? They get lost. If, a sheep, if the sheep are not fed, they starve. If the sheep are not protected, they are food for the wolves. And when Jesus sees them, he sees a group of people that are spiritually starving to death. And if he doesn't feed them, they will die. If he doesn't protect them, they will be, uh, they will be taken. Their lives will be taken by the hands of a wolf, Satan. He knows, so he has compassion. So he has to act. How does he act? First of all, he provides for them spiritually. The Bible says that he began to teach them Many things. And Luke 9, 11, the many things have to do with the kingdom of God. And so he would just be teaching them. He'd be saying, hey, listen, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what that meant was this, is that, listen, this whole world has been fallen because of sin, but right now the kingdom of God is being restored once again among you. God, one day, he's beginning the process of ruling over all his creation supreme, where all of the world is in subjection to him. Everything that has been marred and made upside down and messed up through sin, he is now going to redeem, change, transform, and renew. That's the message that Jesus came. But did you notice something? The first thing that he does when he comes and he feels compassion in his heart and he acts on that compassion and on that sympathy, what does he do? What's the first act he does? He teaches them. He teaches them the word of God. The greatest need of mankind is not physical food, it's spiritual food for the heart. And he begins to teach them the word of God. Later on, Jesus will be in the wilderness again. See the connection? He'll be in the wilderness. And Jesus will, what do we find? Jesus will be tempted. He's gone 40 days, 40 nights without eating. He'll be tempted by the devil. The devil will come and say, hey, just say to these stones, turn them into bread and it will happen. And Jesus says this, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The most compassionate thing he does to not just feed the soul, we always think of the body, don't we? We're so material, we're so physically focused, we don't even think about the true yearnings of the body. Do you know that I know people who have everything the world has to offer and they are empty? 
and they are unsatisfied. Nothing satisfies like the word of God, Jesus Christ, so he wants to give that to them. Let me, let me suggest something to you. As a pastor, there's nothing greater I can do for you than every week, get in my study, shut the door, tell my secretary not to let any phone calls come through except for an emergency, and spend time in the word of God so that each week I can feed you the word of God. There's nothing more compassionate than that. Moms and dads, you are so good at supplying for your children. You're so good. They have the clothes they need, the food that they need. They have the up to one you're teaching them between right and wrong, all these things. But let me tell you what they need. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They need you to give them word. And here's the key. Not everybody likes the word. Not everybody wants the word. Your children may not want what this is what they say. Quit preaching at me. How about your lost neighbors? How about your lost friends? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're trying to tell them the truth. You're trying to tell them the, pr- the truth of the gospel. No matter how loving you say it, what is it? Okay, preacher, why are you always preaching at me? People sit there and say, man, if you love me, you'd shut up. And you sit there and go, if I didn't love you, I would shut up. But the most loving thing we could do is give people the word. That's the provision God has given to us. Jesus gave to us, and we pass it on to other people. Look at Jesus is not only concerned for the spiritual, he's concerned for the physical. Did you know that? The Bible says in verse 35, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him, and he said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy themselves something to eat. Jesus has been preaching a long time. You guys understand what that feels like. Uh, They're starting to get hungry. And so the disciples begin to get concerned for the crowd, legitimately. There's no food around. It's getting late. They don't have any way to be able to feed them. Um, And they're also concerned for themselves. They feel responsible for this group of people. So what a better way to get both of them to take care of the people and take care of themselves and say, hey, look, Jesus, come to hit the road. Uh, They don't have to go home. They just have to go. Uh, and let them go and find their own food that will cure it. Well, Jesus doesn't let them really get away with that. Jesus answers in verse 37, but he answered them, and he says, you give them something to eat. This reminds me of a little bit of spiritual kind of picturesque here. Isn't it? Preacher, would you come and share the gospel? You share the gospel. You share the gospel. Well, I don't know as much as you do. And this is what Jesus is going to say. What do you have? What little you have, use it. God will ultimately use it. Do you see how there's a connection there? So I told you that was the truth in the word of God. And then here's what he says. He says, he says, and then their response, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? A denarii was equivalent to one day's wage. In other words, what he's saying is for a person to be able to feed the group of people that were there that day, it would take one person working 200 days. Every ounce of money that they had would have to go to be able to pay. Problem. They don't have 200 denarii. They say, well, it took 200 denarii to be able to, pay, to feed all these people. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Did you notice no mention about the little boy that we read about in the other passages? No, no little boy, psychology, none of that. Instead, what he says here, he says, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups and hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish. He broke, he looked up into heaven. And he said the blessing, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the, and divided the fish among them all. 
And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Okay, now here's the key. Five thousand men. In the Greek tense and translation, that means men, physically men. It's, it's gender specific. It's talking about men. It doesn't always do that in the Word of God. But that means if there's 5,000 men, it means that there's most likely 20 to 25,000 people gathered with men, women, and children for Jesus. And Jesus feeds them all with two fish and five loaves. We don't really sit back, and, and, and we think it's wondrous where... You've probably been in my place where my wife and I, we had very little, especially in seminary, we had very little money, and we're like, we don't know how this is going to last through the rest of the month. And somehow that peanut butter just seemed to keep lasting. But holy cow, we've had this peanut butter jar, we eat it every day, and it's three months old. How is that, how's that working, right? We think, wow, he's multiplying peanut butter. Thank you, God, for you've done stuff like that. You're crazy. All right, whatever. But the scriptures say here he takes two fish and five loaves and feeds 25 people. Again, it reminds us of the Old Testament. Jesus is the only one that did something like that. We see in the Old Testament, we see in the story of Elijah, there is a poor widow, and she has her son, and they're about to die, and he says, listen, take the little meal you have, and take the oil, and fix me, and meal, give it to God first. And she says, and she says okay, but this is all we have, and this is trusting God, and so she does. And so then the lady, every day she comes back, same peanut butter deal, she says, okay, we're going to eat, and then we're going to die. We have no food. The next day she wakes up, there's enough in the oil and enough flour to be able to live one more day and, and one more day and one more day, and it just kind of keeps going on and on and on. We see the same story with Elisha. There's the story, some people really remember this, but with Elisha, there were just 12 small little barley, or 20 small little barley loaves, and there's 100 men that we deficit. That feeds all 100, they're all satisfied, and God, there's a miracle there. Of course, the pictures that we see again in the Old Testament, we see uh, uh, Moses with his people uh, in the wilderness. The people, are, their food runs out from Egypt. They're sitting there. They're like, why did you send us out here? We're all going to die. What in the world is going to happen? Moses, of course, is concerned. He goes to God because Moses can't do anything in love himself. So what does he do? He calls out to God. And all of a sudden, it starts snowing bread. Snowing bread. It's just falling down. And they call it manna. Why? Because they're like, what is it? I mean, have you ever seen bread falling from heaven, right? So what would you say? What is it? So that, that's a good name. Manna. What is it? That's what we'll call it. So bread begins to fall. And day after day, the people are being fed. And if they try to eat it and hold on to it and hoard it for the next day, guess what it do? does? It rots. God says, I'll supply every day. Just depend on me. I'll supply. I'm your provider. And then finally what we do is later on, we see God do it again through Moses. Uh, what we see of him, uh, we see this in a later story where uh, in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 13 and verse 22, the people are complaining again, bread's not enough, they want meat. They want a high protein diet. We need meat. We should have stayed back there. We should have, we should, there at least we have meat and everything. Everything looked better back in Egypt. And he cries out, he panics. And Moses cries out to God and he says, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for, for them? And be enough for them? Would that even be enough if we, if, we, if we killed huge flocks for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? Doesn't it sound exactly like the disciples, 200 denarii? All the fish of the sea? Do you see the parallel? Do you see the connection? Moses is on the same level as the disciples. They don't know what to do. They're completely dependent upon God. And this is how God responds to Moses. He says, is the Lord's hand shortened 
says, do I have such a short arm, short hand that I can't provide every need for you? Am I not God? Here's the amazing thing. So all of these guys do incredible miracles, but it's completely, we know it's a miracle of God. Jesus comes. He doesn't have to have bread come out of heaven because it comes straight from his hands. And he's providing. He is greater than Elisha. He is greater than Elijah. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than all of them. Now, let me tell you something. This is kind of what, and some of you are cool is, is, is anything. You guys are sitting back. You're cool. You don't give two licks about what's happening with the economy. You don't care. And I love it. I love Christians like that. I meet them, and they're just like, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even read the, I don't read the news. I don't, watch, I don't watch Fox News. I don't watch CNN. And I'd sit there and go, bless you. Let me tell you what some of y'all could really do. Stop watching the cotton-picking news, man. Look, I try to do it every once in a while to kind of find out what's going on. And I sit there and I find myself sitting there going, <laughs> get off of the news. I don't care if it's Fox or CNN. And get into the word, right? One is, hey, everything is great. The other side is everything is horrible. And, and, and just get away from it for a little while. But here's what I want you to say. People are, people are and this is general, I'm being serious. People are concerned for their job. They're genuinely concerned for their job. I don't care what job you have. They're, they're worried about the economy. They're worried about inflation. Uh, they're scared about the stock market. People about to retire. They're like, man, I'm never going to be retired if this keeps happening. They're, 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 they're scared of soaring food prices with all of these things going on. They're scared of the government and what they feel like the government is doing. Can, can I just, just, just say this? Don't fear. Don't fear. Why? Because God is greater than your job. Jesus is greater than your boss. He's greater than your company. He's greater than your savings account. He's greater than the president. He's greater than Congress. Jesus is greater than them all. And you sit back and go, we read texts like this. Manna from heaven. Food falling from heaven. Quail falling from heaven. Oil and flour never ending. Uh, Jesus taking fish and multiplying more fish and loaves, multiplying more loaves. He can do it for you. He'll do the same exact thing. No, that was the Old Testament. God is God. He's your supplier. He supplies all your needs spiritually, physically. Have faith, not fear. It's just not connecting. Because if I'm looking at your faith, it ain't doing a whole lot of good. All right? Maybe I need to go somewhere else, teach this somewhere else. But don't, have, don't come to me and sit there and go, the sky is falling, chicken little. I'm going to take you back to this and go, you weren't listening then, you were sleeping. Do not fear, God is greater. All right, last thing, here we go. Jesus proves the greater Savior. Jesus proves the greater Savior very quickly. Let me just rush through this very quick. Um, there's some hints here that there's something really kind of militant happening behind the scenes within the context of this story. First of all, is the location of where all of this is going down. There in Galilee was the location. It was a hotbed of zealot activity. Zealot activity, which basically meant that there were a whole bunch of people that wanted to overthrow the government at that time. That's what zealots were. And they wanted to do it by force. They wanted to do it by killing them, running them through with, with knives. And so they wanted to overthrow the government because they didn't like the direction it was going. They felt oppressed. 
They need to rise up. Listen to the people. Right? Tell the people. Right? So that's what they wanted to do. This was happening in the same area that Jesus was ministering. Also, did you notice that there were 5,000 men who had assembled to listen? And it says that there were comings and there were goings of these people in the Word of God. Well, notice this. Usually when it says 5,000 men or 5,000 people, whatever it is, it's usually not gender-specific talking about men. He's making the point. There's 5,000 men here. That's significant. Listen, you can barely get 5,000 men to anywhere. All right? You, you understand what I'm saying? So what, what, what's happening? Well, they're gathering together very possibly because they're looking forward for what? The next militant leader. We see another hint that the phrase cheap without a shepherd in the Old Testament has more of a militant kind of answer. Joshua was this militant leader that was going to lead his people to overthrow the powers uh, there in the promised land. And then there's one last thing. In John chapter 6 and verse 15, John writes, Perceiving then that this is Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here's what's happening. These people want Jesus to be a king, but what kind of king do they want him to be? They want him to be a king to be able to solve all of their worldly troubles. They want this king to rise up, to get out underneath the oppression of the Roman government, and they want to be, that's the kind of savior that they're looking Jesus says he refuses to do it and wouldn't give himself to them. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm a greater Savior than that. Jesus did not come for you and I to have an easier life here on earth. I mean, when I preach this, it's kind of like, wait, you're, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to be saying that. I, I'm telling you, Jesus, where's the hint for the money? He says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they shall likewise persecute you. There's one. Jesus, here's another hint for you. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow me. Pick up your instrument of persecution and death and follow me. That's what the Christian life is. I'm not saying that Jesus does not provide. He does. I'm not saying that Jesus does not care for us financially and even what's happening in America at this particular time, but I want to let you know this. Jesus is a greater Savior than just trying to correct an economy or trying to correct a government or trying to get a better job or to have this or to have that. Jesus came not to die for us to physically have a better life. He came to die to cure the greatest problem. That's our sin problem. And that is to die on the cross to pay for the sins of you and I so that our sins would be washed away. Are we going to live in a new heaven, new earth, where there's no sorrow, where there's no pain, where there's no need, where there's no suffering, where there's none of that? Absolutely. But the greatest part is that Jesus was the king that the people had wanted him to be and had started ruling and overthrow their, the, the, the enemy and not died on the cross. He would have been an inferior savior. But he was a greater Savior. He died for you. He died for me. He repent of your sin and turn from your sin and place your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. You could take part in the greater Savior. Let's pray, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for all those who are here. God, I do pray that this word was of some encouragement to our church this morning. God,
people want to ask. Mike, are you concerned about what's happening in our country? Well, did you know that I'm really not incredibly concerned with that, but I am concerned about the fear in the hearts of lives of the people. God, with you, we have nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. You demonstrated your perfect love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Please, I pray that we'll be washed this morning in your love. We'll be secured in your love, whatever it is. We'll place our faith in you for those who are not saved. And we will thank you. Our hearts will go out. We'll be encouraged from this place. Because you are greater. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come this morning? I'm going to be down here. If you want prayer, I'd love to pray for you. The altar is open. If you'd like to pray, spend time with Jesus. Whatever it is, just do business with the Lord this morning if you would. Let's pray together.